the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Wine Women Radio Hour. Uh, I'm Marsha Maycomber, one of your co-hosts here today with Ruby Fontana. Hi, Hello. Ruby. It's great to have you here, Ruby. Great to be here. So Ruby is a guest co-host today. She's actually the events director for Wine Women and will tell us a little bit about what's coming up in events for Wine Women because uh, she's just a little, a little new to that position. Getting, Fairly new. Yeah. A lot of a few events there, but up. We can talk about that. But later. although you're yeah. new to that position, you've been an events director for many wineries and organizations doing gazillions and gazillions of events for many years. Yes. yes. So, Large to small, public, private wineries, yeah, everything. The whole nine things. It's exciting. So anyway, so our first, uh, our, our first course of business here that we have to take care of is to acknowledge our fantastic sponsor, The Panel Wine Lounge here in Sonoma. That's where we are located and recording from right now. They're at 535 West Napa Street here in Sonoma. Open Tuesday through Friday to the public from 3 to 9 o'clock and Saturday noon to 9 p.m. Sunday, Monday by appointment. So you'll have to ask. Find them at panelwines.com. Um, what is it? It's a public wine lounge. They serve wine by the glass. They also serve draft beer and espresso. So if you need a pick-me-up around 3 o'clock in the afternoon because you've been working since pre-dawn, um, it's a great place to stop by and do that. The uh, AC is cranking like crazy right now because it's mid-July and uh, it's pretty toasty outside as it is here in wine country. Um, they also have a global wine shop here in the building, which is really kind of fun and cute and has a, a little bit of everything from France, Italy, Germany, Portugal, Australia, New Zealand, and of course here on the west coast of the U.S. Um, they also have a wine club, which is called the Panels Exploration Club, and what makes it really kind of fun and unique is they have four judges every month who blind taste the prospective wines choose their favorites and that is what goes out to club members every month i think it's a really great system um a lot of fun and it's gotten a lot of really great reviews so if you're interested again go to panelwines.com or uh, give them a call at 707-938-7152 or just come on over and kick back because they've got uh, little kind of tapas plates and little cheese and charcuterie all types of things that you can have with your glass of wine and kick back with a friend or play a card game because they have game nights with all kinds of games here that are a lot of fun. So we just want to thank them for giving us this tasting room space that's just so lovely to work in. Uh, Next up would be current wine industry news. Uh, And so a few things that came out today, um, which were kind of interesting to see, um, from the wine industry uh, insights uh, by Louis Perdue, uh, the headline is Bronco, Gallo, and other large wineries dominate Napa County with 70% of permitted production. It's kind of a huge number, That's isn't it? huge. So here's the skinny from uh, Mr. Purdue's article. He says, Napa has become to present the pinnacle of American ultra-fine wine. Um, in reality, 45% of the permitted production is vested in just two companies with budget wine reputations, Gallo and Bronco. Um, These two companies account for approximately 45% 
of all permitted wine production in Napa County, according to Wine Industry Insights preliminary analysis and public records. Um, that total is just over 125.4 million gallons, quite a big number. Um, so he further explains by saying that of the 522 wineries listed in the county records, another 15 wineries have production use permits of one to four million gallons, and that represents another 31.2 million gallons, which is 25% of total county permitted production. So these 15 wineries plus Gallo and Bronco account for 70% of permitted production in Napa County. Now, what he finds interesting about this is that most consumers fail to draw a distinction between Napa County and Napa Valley wines, um, of which there is quite a substantial difference that can be out there. And um, so he's expressing that the largest producers here kind of, quote, ride the coattails of the extraordinary and highly successful efforts of the Napa Valley Vintners Association, end quote, which, of course, represents a lot of the premium producers. So just an interesting story out there. Uh, Also a big surprise uh, that came out in the news today, the president and CEO of Foley unexpectedly left a week ago. This was reported by Bill Swindle at the Press Democrat. Um, he reported that under Hugh Reimers, uh, the the former president and CEO, Foley had made a splash um, by acquiring a majority stake in the Healdsburg-based Banshee Wines, a popular Pinot Noir brand for millennials, um, and also acquired last year's Oregon's Acrobat wine brand from King Estate Winery in Eugene, Oregon. Now, he actually left, his last day was last week, and... Rhymers had been kind of snagged from Jackson Family Wines before that, and uh, Bill Foley had intentionally brought him on board because he wanted to emulate the Jackson Family success. So he kind of rather unexpectedly left. But uh, to replace Rhymers, Sean Schiffer was hired to be president of Foley Family Wines and CEO of Epic Wines and Spirits. Uh, the company's wine distribution arm. Schiffer, I wanted to make sure I had the right name. Schiffer had been senior vice president of global sales at WX Brands, a Novato-based firm that is a major provider in the private label wine market for retailers retailers looking for their own wine brands. So that's a big change for Foley. Mm -hmm. Um, Who knows how that will shake out. Um, another, a, a couple more interesting tidbits before we move on with our guest today. Um, in all sadness, a big wine tanker spilled a lot of red wine when it overturned yesterday in the morning um, right off of, now I'm spacing on the name, uh, it was right off of the, the, the oh, what's the name of it? Well, it's off of 121 and... Yeah, because Ar- I'm recording the podcast. I can't remember its name. Did you say Arnold? Where no, no, Arnold's here in Sonoma. Is, is it Napa? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's right 128 there. 128 and 121? No, 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 121. And uh, it's where all the eucalyptus trees are. And I don't know why I'm Stanley spacing it. Stanley Lane. Stanley. Oh. Gosh, I don't know. Like, Ooh. I didn't even write it down because it's so firmly the ingrained in my head. must be great. Huh? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a so tragic loss. It why is a tragic loss. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so I'm um, very sad to hear that the red wine spill from the tanker occurred 
yesterday. Um, lastly, before we move on with our guest, because I don't want to maybe up too much those, time here. Um, big producers out of Napa bringing wine in. Could oh yes, right. <laughs> Which <laughs> way was that tanker Could going? <gasps> well, actually, it looked like they were going eastbound on 121 oh. towards the 29 South exit, but they could have. It looked from the picture like they could have just come north on Stanley Lane to turn on to 121 to turn on to 29. Mm. So, all in all, just a sad thing to deal with. Anyway, uh, in other news, which I find kind of interesting, uh, as reported from the drinks business, and they're reporting on behalf of CNN, so we're distilling down quite a lot here, Facebook, which also owns Instagram messaging and, uh, uh, sorry, messaging app WhatsApp, uh, is instituting a number of changes for its policies on alcohol. So um, as of July 24th, the company has banned all private sales, trades, transfers, and gifting of alcohol and tobacco products on Facebook and Instagram. Um, they're also restricting the sale uh, and, and posts that go in private groups on Facebook, so they may even shut down some of those private groups that do their sales um, over the network that way and all content uh, is restricted to those over age 18. I have to personally say as somebody who manages um, alcohol sites um, for clients on Facebook, I don't know of any so social media managers who don't religiously ensure that their posts are restricted to 18 and over or often 21 and over so this will obviously impact some people and of course they're also saying um alcohol and tobacco are prohibited from sale in facebook marketplace which is essentially the facebook online shop there's a giant shop there that you can sell things on um, yeah. but it's kind of interesting so anyway that's uh, a little bit of the news that is out there right now um I want to move right along here and introduce our first guest today. Um, very excited. Alexandra Romanini is here. Oh, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you it's for great. having me today. It's great to have you here. July. Things are warming up out there. Getting ready for harvest. <laughs> it is. It is definitely warming up. And for um, our very sharpest of listeners, they may go, Alexandra Romanini, wasn't she on a few weeks ago and indeed you were you were here I as was. a guest co-host yeah i was which is great it at the very great. beginning of june which was very exciting to have you help us out there with that thank so, you so um for thank you for being here um and and bringing some lovely line with wine which we'll talk to about in just a second um but for our folks who want a little bit of background um because you know you're you're not one out there to march around with your cv right in front no, of you no one uh, so you got your you got your um degree in chemistry and biochemistry two actually two separate two degrees separate degrees oh, in good bachelor's. for you Thank um you. from san francisco state university and then you moved down as a lab intern right at mum napa valley correct uh and then also you've had stints at saint supri domaine chandon carmenet bouchain and coletto that's correct, yes. Very interesting. So, And now there's some other cool things to note here. And I'm Ruby, and I'm because I know you've known Alexandra for quite some time, but I'm wondering if you knew that um, she also speaks Italian. Yes. And besides English? Spanish. Spanish, there you go. Multilingual. Oh, very good. 
French is French is my only second language, really, mm. except to go no habla español. <laughs> no, <pas> français. <laughs> there you go. That's See, so there you go. There's your French, <laughs> and it works perfectly well that way. So, um, I, I'm curious because I have, I've never had the chance to get over to Coleto, but I've always heard it, it's a really unique place and all that. Um, you worked there for a while as a, an assistant winemaker before yes. kind of going out on your own and working as a consulting winemaker. Mm. Talk a little bit about Coletto and so yeah, Coletto. I worked there in the early two thousands when he was just starting up his winery, and it was brought bone basic bones structure. There was not much. The wines that had been made were a bit neglected, but. Mm. Uh, it was fun to be able to come in and make some beautiful blends and sell off and start making great, great wine from those vineyards. Vineyards are on hillside, very mm-hmm. steep, so it's gorgeous. Ooh. Yes. And hand farmed if they're hand on a steep farmed, hillside. Hand yeah. picked. Very good. Yeah. Very good. It was great. Alex, may I ask, I, I don't actually know where Coletto's vineyards are. Can you describe? Sure. Uh, Pat Coletto purchased... Uh, I think it was over 100 acres up off of Highway 128, right above Lake Hennessy of the uh, Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. It's on the road that you go take when you go to um, Lake Berea. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah, Great. and there's Bryant fam- family and whatnot's up there. I can picture it in my mind's eye. Oh, yes. <laughs> overlooking the bay, overlooking Lake Hennessy. Gorgeous, so. gorgeous, gorgeous place. So then you also spent some time kind of sampling the 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 world of of winemaking and vineyards all around the world what did what did what did you kind of you know in a summary what did you learn from traveling the world and digging into winemaking and i assume a bit of cellar ratting and oh definitely vineyard management around the globe what were what were some kind of tidbits that you picked up well, everybody does basically, the basics are the same, but it's just the little things that change that make the wine and picking of the grapes just so. So there are all these little, I don't want to say mm-hmm. trade secrets, but definitely winemakers have their technique in that area, and therefore they produce the most beautiful wines they can from wines of that region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find, as, as somebody who kind of went around interning and cellar ratting, how willing were they to share some of those trade secrets? Interesting. Well, were I these things like you picked up by observation or were they were willing to? A lot of it was observation. South mm-hmm. America was great. That was an open book. A lot of people are st- were still learning. This was in the early 2000s. And down in Argentina. Yeah, yeah. down in Argentina. I can remember moving wine with a garden hose. It was a, a very <laughs> interesting time, but it worked. Um, and then in Chile, working with some beautiful cement tanks that Ooh. were brand new. So it was quite an experience being able to try all these various vivification modes and seeing the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did all of that it kind of inform you in the long run about the, your own desired approaches, you know, before you got oh, to, definitely. okay, if I get to make my own wine, my own way, blah, 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 blah. Well, it opens the book and lets it, you don't tend to follow the steps so mm-hmm. closely as you do when you initially start to make wine. You realize wine is pretty flexible within a certain realm. So you can, you know, Mm-hmm. do vinification a little different maybe punch down a little less or punch down more or add some additives like uh, wood chips for mm-hmm. tannins to mellow out things so 
It was really interesting. Little trade secrets. Those are trade, by the way. I can't see, tell you my secrets. But yes, go. it was great. Yeah, I will say it Good. has helped me a lot. All right. It's fun. Very cool. And then you came back here. I did. It's like and... the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, was your, I'm trying to remember, was your family from Sonoma? Yeah, so I grew up here in Sonoma. I went to Sonoma Valley High, and I went away for a bit and lived in Europe and mm-hmm. then went to school, did various jobs, and then I came back and mm-hmm. began working here. And it seems like it keeps drawing me back. It's a beautiful place. It's go. so much fun to make wine. Now, you've been pretty settled here now for, what, 15, 16, 17 years? Something like that? Yes? Oh, from... Or was there travel in the middle of all that? There's always a little travel in the middle of that. You know, how else are you going to learn some new things? <laughs> no, it's always good. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know. If I wasn't making wine here, there was a stint where I was making wine here in California, and then six months later, I would be making the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> so I did that for about okay. eight years continuously. I had the best oh, wow. tan ever. <laughs> <laughs> Worked two harvests, two years. Still have a great summer. tan. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you do. So, so now that is not uncommon in the industry no, for people not. to circulate Northern Southern Hemisphere to kind of stay on top of their yeah. uh, the, and learn different winemaking techniques. Yes. So now you are a little bit unique as a winemaker in that you also manage vineyards and you're out there in the vineyards yes. yourself yeah. um, with great regularity. So you have your own vineyards here in Sonoma. I do, I do. So you have those to manage. How about telling us a little bit about what's happening mm. right now here? We're mid-late July while we're recording right now. Uh, what's happening out in the vineyard right now? Well, right now, <clears throat> there's been a lot of catch-up since we mm-hmm. had such a wet w- winter and spring. We did. But we have therefore brought in a lot of mildew now in our vines because there's the moisture's up. We have a lot of vigor from the vines, so that's lacking air circulations around the grapes and just prime conditions to to create, you know, um, build up a good population and high pressure right. and mildew. It also feels like the summer has been more humid than others. Yeah, so we haven't had a really hot, dry summer. So it's been warm, but we haven't had those long stints where it just dries everything out and those heat waves. So there's a lot of work to be done. People are trying to get in there. And the, also, having gotten into the vineyard late because of our late May rain uh, didn't allow... Um, vineyard managers to come in and spray for fungi so fungicides were not used right and you're an organic grower yes to begin with so spraying for fungicides is oh there are various yes there are various brands there are various brands that you use you know you don't use um that are certified organic Mm mm-hmm Okay, all right. Good uh, to know. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners who don't really get out in the vineyard, so to speak, and and understand farming practices, it's Mother Nature. So there are these windows where sometimes you make it before a rain happens or some sort of a temperature spike up or down. Correct. Um, and, And so sometimes you do or don't get to something you hope to. So at the beginning of the growing season... Um, you're getting a little bit of bud break and you're hoping you're not going to have a frost or a a temperature cross. So there's one thing that affects um, growth and everything. Um, And then uh, you just mentioned the rains through the winter. There's all of that. Oh, yeah. So if you have a lot of rain on the ground, the 
roots aren't waking up because they're not getting mm-hmm. oxygen. So it wakes up later. Then you have um, budding and flowering later. So mm-hmm. you're more apt to um, variation in weather conditions. We had some rain, like I said, in May that created what's called hens and chicks, where grapes are, the flowers are hit with the rain. The flower doesn't pollinate, so it just is a little infertilized berry. So what happens is it's great. It's small. It gives you a lot of juice to skin contact, but it matures at a different rate than all the other berries. So you have some variation, which is great for varieties like Chardonnay and Pinot, but horrible for for varieties like Zin and San San Giovese. <laughs> mm. So it's all a game, you know. That's what the, that's the beauty of making wine, you there know. You go. You're given in the ingredients, and you make what you can. Every year, it's something different. It is. That's why they're so good. So so today, you brought with you some of your Canahan family cellars wines, right? Yes. So. Um, uh, and they're right here also in Sonoma. And technically, like you, uh, the vineyards abut uh, Sonoma Coast AVA as well as being in the Carneros AVA. And the Carneros AVA. Close. Right? No, it's not no. right. So, oh, so correct me, please. So it is part of Sonoma Coast, and Carneros mm-hmm. is part of Sonoma Coast too. It's just a larger um, designate, but we're. Yeah, Sonoma Valley. So that is a little less uh, AVA. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what happens is that Canahan Family Vineyards is right on Napa Road. And on the south side of the road is Carneros. And on the north side of the road, it's Sonoma Valley. So there you go. That's yeah. the point of demarcation. And yeah. I didn't know. So yes. thank you for telling sure. me. No worries. Yeah. So it's not considered Carneros, but definitely growing climate is uh, grows great. Uh, wines for Pinot and Chardonnay that Mm -hmm. we have and some Viognier and Syrah Mm -hmm. so it's all organically farmed handcrafted has been dry farmed for the last 15 years so um, it's got some pretty good roots and it's pretty I was gonna say yes uh, dry farming um, uh, but you but but some of the good things in your area that are mentioned conveniently on the website which is really great is uh, and for folks who want to know where to go for that, you go to canahanwines.com. That's correct. C A N I H A N wines.com. No mm-hmm. hyphens or anything in there. Is this particular growing region, those of us who are here local know this, you get a lot of fog. And, yes. it's, coo- and it's cooler than it is anywhere up valley, hence being a perfect growing region for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. So that fog, of course, provides a lot of moisture, which makes dry farming possible where it might not be in other places. Oh, definitely. Um, that helps. And also the vineyard itself is on an old riverbed. So the ah. water moisture that comes down off the valley comes through there. So it's got a uh, ability to really sink those roots down and uh, not be farmed. Very cool. So be dry farmed. Yeah. So I brought today some Pinot Noir of Rosé, Rosé Pinot Noir a pinot and a syrah all right wonderful they're beautiful yeah go ahead so so i have a 2015 syrah um pinot and a 14 syrah so let's just start with the rosé it's a 2018 um beautiful light pink blush color it's got a little peachy Mm -hmm. Mm It's just the color that I look for in a rosé. Oh, it's nice. like a it's like a, a pale salmon mm-hmm. kind of pink mm-hmm. color. I agree. It's pretty crisp and clear. It is. It has a it has a nice acidity to it. So it snaps. It's really fresh. Mm, it's fresh. So getting some and aromatic. 
Yes, getting a little apricot, and I got that mouthfeel of a heaviness, weightiness in the middle. Mm. It's very crisp on the front and has some weight in the middle and, and finishes nicely, um, nice and dry. So I have a question for you. A yeah. lot of uh, rosé Pinot Noirs that I have are, I want to say, a little bit more tannic. Could and maybe I'm also thinking slightly more astringent, but I really want to lean towards tannic. Yours is not at no, all. No, no. Um, if I didn't know this was a rosea Pinot Noir, I might suspect that it was a rosé of Grenache. Oh, yes. It doesn't have much tannin. It's, we make our rosé very special way. So we pick a half ton picking bins in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and by the time we get it to the winery the next morning, um, there is some settling of the grapes. And so when we tip those bins out in the hopper, we, get, we collect about um, quite a bit of juice that comes off from mm-hmm. itself. You the know, free run? Free, free run, yes. So it hasn't <laughs> gone through the crusher yet. It's, it's so free. Yeah, so we collect that. And this last year, I've collected from the Pinot. But mm-hmm. previous years, I've collected from the Syrah and the Pinot and the Viognier. Uh-huh. So this year, we don't have a lot of tannins because it's of Pinot. And there's a lot, mm-hmm. not much skin-to-juice contact. So what was the production on the rosé this year? The, we only had 27 cases. Oh, wow. Oh, so this is on. a super-duper treat. Wow. Wow. This well, is thank you just, for it's sharing. It's really fabulous. <laughs> great. It really yeah. Is. Come on down to the winery. We have it's a great place to try it. Sit on the picnic tables. We have a very informal tasting room. Uh, it's by Wonderful. appointment only. Yeah. yeah. So you gotta again go to the site, canahanwines.com. And a little bit of background on the family. This mm. they have a really long, long history. Grandpa Auguste, right? Yes. Is that right? Yes. Came from Switzerland. Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, with a family background in culinary and particularly in wine um, and was on the East Coast for a while and then bought himself an Indian motorcycle. I thought that note was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Came to the West Coast with the goal of making wine on the West Coast and he got here in 1920. So he was boxed out by prohibition and went into culinary services was very successful at it in san francisco for many years um then i guess purchased land in sonoma the the family estate now in sonoma and then his son-in-law uh bill senior is that right yeah so it was bill senior that bought the land here in sonoma right so bill's senior son and uh, yes. father-in-law right yeah he was predominantly in san francisco so he right. worked and lived in san francisco mm-hmm. and did business there but um bill senior bill jr's father they purchased the land here in sonoma in 1977 i believe it was something like that uh purchased in 75 from a basque fellow now this basque fellow i can remember as a kid used to raise emus so the whole <laughs> vineyard was full of emus <laughs> Well fertilized. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you're taking advantage of that to this day. Mm-hmm. So, so then it didn't get planted until '89 or something. Uh, like the first that? planting was, was in '98. Thank you. All right, I flip flopped my eight and nine there. Yeah. yeah so, so they planted uh, on some various rootstock because we have various terrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some swampier areas and some dry areas. So we have. Uh, Paulson SO4 and 1014, but then we later grafted, once those were rootstocks were well established, mm-hmm. they grafted on some Pinot uh, Dijon clones and 
uh, various right. other the typicals. Clothes. I see here mm-hmm. 115, 667, and 777. Mm-hmm. And 824 and 828, excuse me, and a few others later on. Right, yeah. for the and, Syrah and the Cab Franc. Yeah, and right. so the Syrah and Cab Franc. And then at one point, we did graft over that Cab Franc to Viognier mm-hmm. because it was recommended to him prior to um, me working with him for the first time in 2003 to have some Viognier with the Syrah. So we teba, it was teabutted mm-hmm. over, but not very well. So we have a little, about two acres of a mismatch of, of uh, <laughs> Cab Franc and Viognier that we do harvest because they're at very different times and use mm-hmm. them. So, so, so for our listeners who may not know, Viognier is commonly blended into Syrah. Gives, helps give it a little bit of viscosity. Helps with viscosity, a yeah. floral nose, and, right? warmth. Yeah. Right. So that's so. a common... And people go, Syrah, but it's so dark red. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's okay. <laughs> and it's not It's not like it's a half and half blend. It's No, no, it's completely less than different. 5% generally. It's, it's a, a winemaking choice, like a recipe. Yes, yes, just like Chianti's. They mix in some mm-hmm. Tribbiano, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool stuff. Well, this is really fresh and quite a treat since you only made 27 cases. Yeah. 27 cases, uh, slightly more than a barrel. Yes, exactly. So one barrel barrel. is 25 cases, and so we had a keg enough for processing to be bottled. Well, it's beautiful. It's really great. What, Alexandra, what do you like to pair food-wise with your rosé from Canahan here? Food-wise? I think it goes with anything, especially appetizers, you know, cheese and guacamole oh, and yeah. yeah yeah cleanses the palate and just keeps and i would particularly say um soft cheeses soft cheeses that are really fatty so triple creme mm-hmm. little again tri- against the acidity is what i'm getting at is the oh, contrast definitely. between the the acidity and the fatness so yeah, so ruby you and you end up you know with a lot of your events with a lot of interesting i know you're not necessarily the one preparing the wine or the food but um, working the combinations, do you have any fa- favorite pairings that you like with rosés that are favorites, go-to favorites for you? I find that rosé goes with almost anything that you feel like eating in the summer. I, honestly, um, salads, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Ceviche. Ceviche, oh my goodness, there's a perfect <laughs> example. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to be drinking a rosé in the winter with heavy foods. So, you know, I, I think foods, they sort of naturally go together. I find wines to be very seasonal. Um, mm-hmm. What's appetizing to me seasonally would be the same seasonal foods that I would find um, in restaurants on, mm-hmm. on a specials menu. So um, uh, obviously you're not going to put, you know, prime rib with a rosé, but... <laughs> You know, uh, rosé all day, lunch, right, and appetizers, absolutely. Right. I agree. All those, uh, all those yummy things. So those are all good. So uh, let, let's try the next. Alexandra, let's so, try the next one. You get the Pinot Noir. We'll you want to do the Pinot, Pinot next? Sure. We'll do the 2015 Pinot. So K- Bill Canahan has two labels for his Pinot. We have Canahan mm-hmm. as a label and Exuberance. So I have brought the Canahan today, mm. the 2015 it's got a beautiful color. This is kind of a Colors. a crimson. Is my yes. what comes to my it, you With know a little brick on the edges. Yes. This is where winemakers um, really excel because you guys have trained on the vocabulary and the right descriptors. 
Yes, so, of course. It's all that. Well, you know, jargons. It's all, yes, there is right. a lot of there is a lot of jargon, and it help and it's helpful when you speak the same jargon as somebody else. Very that true. they don't misunderstand um, what your reference is. So Oops. I completely concur on your color. I would say I do see some general ruby glow, yes. but not the kind of ruby glow that some people think of for a really super new brand new vintage you know ruby ruby it's coloring is often associated with something that has wines. just been bottled mm -hmm. and this does not have that color that no, has that doesn't. crimson and brick going so yes it's got that very nice crimson red when it sh the light shines through it and then the brick around the edges develop it which distinguish the development of a wine so um this is beautiful I love this. Cherry. Mm. It's got some cherry, but it's got that warmth, like mm. uh, uh, cherry pie with a little yes, baked, spice, baked cherry baked pie. Cherry pie. And, and there's something about a, a Pinot Noir um, to me that makes a, a difference between either a really, you know, a really well-made one, but also say one of substance is it not only lays out across the tongue, but it also gets kind of a vertical nature going. You can feel it continuing to evolve as it drops down your throat. <laughs> no, very well said. Definitely. I agree. It's you know, breadth great. and depth. Breadth, breadth and depth. depth yes. And the, the younger ones are the ones that have not quite a robust profile as yours. Um, just kind of, you know, they lay out kind of flat, but they don't go deep. Well, I think it also what you're seeing is that the tannins have developed nicely, so it's not dominant in a as you see in new wines. You still have a lot of uh, dark fruit flavors, cherry, cranberries, but the lingering of the the mm -hmm. wine and the flavors are are like you said, kind of linger down into your throat, and you can almost breathe them through your nose yeah. afterwards. So, yeah, very nice, very this is beautiful, easy, elegant wine to drink. It goes with almost anything because there's like a heartiness right. to it, but yet it's elegant enough to go with softer foods and fish. Most and definitely. Like that. Yeah. Again, you could pair this with salmon. Yes. Um, quite easily. Or uh, ceviche. Or, <laughs> yes, yes, the ceviche. Um, now you said this is the 2015, right? Yes, it's correct. And 100% Pinot Noir. 100% Pinot Noir. Noir. So all estate. All estate. Um, and these are from the older vines, the oh Dijon wow. clones. We do have a suction of grapes, about six acres. That is a field blend. Mm -hmm. There's six different varietals. Does that mean there's a Pinot? bit of surprise in there as the field blend? That's right. <laughs> Guess what? Famously known as the mixed black the sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Which cool. makes beautiful wines, yeah, I does. think. You know, fermenting with everything in the pot makes it. So this this 2015 and Pinot Noirs are notorious because tannins are not as as depth and breadth as they are in a Cabernet. That's that's a, a distinguishing feature. Mm -hmm. But this is so well balanced. I can see this aging beautifully for another five years or more. Oh, definitely. It, I think Bill's wines hold on his Syrahs. I've tasted the 2004 wow. uh, Syrah recently with him, uh, and it's it's just, it's at its peak. In fact, the, mm -hmm. his 2004 and 2007 won the San Francisco International uh, Best of Show for I Red. saw that. Yes. It sure did. So yeah. congratulations Thank on you. that Thank win. You. That, you know... The, um, the international competition often draws, I think, between four and 7,000 wine entries. Yeah. So to win best red 
about you, you go through so many elimination rounds. That's that's really something. So congratulations. Thank on you. That. It was showing perfect it's, that day. It, it's yeah, obviously it was. Yeah, <laughs> which is great. I'm I'm curious, Alexander. You've been with Canahan since 2003. You're a consulting winemaker. It's you yes. know it's it, this is your main fo- and this is our main focus today. That means you've been out in the vineyards with them for many, many, many years. So you really get to see how your vines have reacted, how their vines have reacted um, over many different, you know, seasons of, you know, climate adjustments, you know, too short winters, you know, not cold enough, uh, too, you know, too cold, too rainy, not rainy enough. Yes. Uh, Yes. You know, late frost, you know, all, all different options. What are the kinds of things you learn as a winemaker with staying so long with a vineyard like you know with a vineyard like that because it's fairly common for a large percentage of winemakers to be changing wineries there's some that stay decades but mm-hmm. a lot of them do change you know i don't know 2 years 5 years 10 years and and they don't get to see what happens over that long period this is a long tail yeah it's beautiful to see the evolution of a vineyard so that's the nice thing about consulting you have your clients that might stay for many years and you get to work with the same vineyards generally so with bill canahan i started in 2003 with him and since then i've been able to see the evolution of his vineyard what happens when it's a drought which rows that i think are very good for his label and Mm -hmm. his what he likes as a wine um you know, mm-hmm. that's something that you have to consider when you're a consultant is that just because you like a wine doesn't mean the the, the owner will like that wine. So you really have to sometimes tailor to the uh, mm-hmm. owner's needs. But this vineyard's so beautiful. There, there's not much tailoring. He um, loves what comes out of there. I enjoy making it. And I think, we, you know, it's a great partnership that's come about. And yeah. yeah. Nice. Thank you. What a, what a great way great way to go about doing it so it's a it's just a very cool thing and it's nice to see the evolution over time so i know they're all um all the canahan wines are very well regarded here in sonoma and have a very long history and they're all organic perhaps we should talk a little bit about um what it's like the the world is obviously shifting in that direction with um less chemicals or as you said earlier um, certain certain chemicals are, shall we say, more natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, chemicals chemicals exist in nature, so it's oh, not wow. like you go chemical free. We can't exist without them. No, you know, <laughs> the there's pro- a difference between man-made and nature-made. Yeah, so you have different approaches on what you use. A lot of it also for the organic is that you're not using so many herbicide or rudenticides. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of vermin in those vineyards and especially after the fires they yeah. came down off the hills and oh i've seen a few That's vineyards great. have more moles and mole hills and right grass. do you have owl boxes and other things ah exciting yeah. we have some eucalyptus that grow near the vineyard and we have red red tail hawks so that's <gasps> they're cool. natural they're wonder yes n- yes they'll take care of those moles and and voles and, and, voles and, and squirrels Go and birds. things like that. Oh, yes. Nemesis. Go first. Do you, do you have... Do you catch have, them yet? Yeah. <laughs> do you have much in terms of uh, deer that try to prance No, through? not too bad. Not we too might get a little bit on the edges, um, but there are other vineyards around. 
but deers not so much. I have seen turkeys come through, but nothing devastating. They were just going through just where we're located. Mm-hmm. It's not a um, most it's animals a corridor are on, for yeah, them. Yeah, it's a corridor more than are, anything. Are turkeys able to reach the fruit? They're yes. tall enough, aren't they? Yes, yeah, they are able to. Big critters. Mm. Pick those. Yeah, and sometimes they can be a problem, but I've never had a problem at Bill Canahan's. Good, good. Well, Ruby asked a really good question because that made me think there's a lot of different um, trellising practices Correct. that you can do it. And it, as you walk around Sonoma and look at even some of the oldest vines, so you see some that are head trained that are you know 24 to 30 inches high right and and then the, then you see a shift to some of like cherry block which is a sebastiani and it's and feet. it's over by where ruby lives Unbelievable. and it's six feet tall and that's where the cordons came off come off very high yeah it's kind of like remember in the 90s when Dennis changed from like having you sit upright to laying down flat <laughs> you know it's kind of like there are these shifts in farming practices oh, so they say no we're going to grow everything this much higher or we're going to liar trellising or you know different patterns so so w- what's it like at Canahan since I don't know <laughs> oh well Canahan has a variety of uh, it both has cane mm-hmm. uh, pruned and uh, spur pruning or vertic- vertical shoot shoot mm-hmm. placement it just depends um how the vigor is in that area uh you can have more control of the vigor if you're at vertical shoot placement versus cordon cordon and cordon is great for old vines easy picking you know you have mm-hmm. all the grapes in one line mm-hmm. you know um but it also has a p- higher propensity t- to have disease pressure. So mm-hmm. you make that cut to a vine that you don't cut all, you know, the arm off all the way. You slowly are able to, um, they can come in slowly and take a plant. But, you know, if you, we have a great vineyard manager and he, um, his crew is really conscious. So they are always putting down new arms for cordons and, and, changing up the um trellising system where needed so yeah it's uh it's kind of a fun thing to play around with it very nifty mm-hmm. very cool to hear you know that there's these are um minor changes i mean they obviously have big effects on your end but you know tiny tiny changes can have big results big oh, changes def- yeah and i agree what you're after so very cool to hear how all of this if, you know comes out your minor changes have these big results and changes so let, let's move on to the Syrah yes so the exuberance right I have an exuberance Syrah which is, this uh, is wonderful I don't recall how much I have it is the 2014 this is a regular in my residence is, is it, it really? yes this is a favorite uh, yes it's a favorite well this is going to be my first day so oh. there you oh. go but I am a big Get Syrah ready. fan mm. Big nose. Lots of dark fruit on the nose mm, here. Very dark. More of a, and as expected, more of a dark ruby coloring to it. Oh, definitely. The color is intense. It's um, on the darker side of the Syrahs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's got a brightness to it at the same time. Now, is this one where you... Earlier we were talking about um, it's common to blend a little Viognier in. Is, well, is this 100% Syrah so or a no. little bit of a blend? In the 2015, we had about 4% Viognier. Mm-hmm. Um, we do sell the Viognier, but they had left out a row, so we had a little more. So that's, therefore, for Syrah, we didn't want to waste it, so we had to put it somewhere. And it really shows that you have those nice, warm, dark flower, white flowers. 
um, tubas and gardenias are deep hidden under some good dark mm. compote. Mm. I, this is just like a big bowl of red and black fruit that I'm just mushing my nose in, and I and I and and my taste buds, and I don't mean that in a in a jammy way. Mm-hmm. I mean like it's just really robust in all of this. so. Uh, I'm getting blackberry and plum and cranberry and definitely dark cherry. Definitely dark cherries, yeah. Blueberry. Mm-hmm. Blueberry is kind of a, a, is it, I think of it as part of the standard profile of a Syrah. Yes, yeah. And then also, you know, Syrah, some of those have more meaty qualities. And I think at the very beginning of this, this wine's life, it had more of those meaty bacon qualities that are evolving so it's almost like you still have the viscosity of the fat, but those berries are so intense right now. They're uh, yeah, showing quite I'm nicely. Not, I'm not getting the baconiness. Not to anymore, it. but I get the mouthfeel of the meat yeah. of it. Delicious. Absolutely like, delicious. Exuberance is such an apt name. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I love it. So, how did the name come about? Oh, that was Bill Canahan. He. I can't he remember. got excited ex- with the, what you made? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he was listening to a politician, and he said something about, um, basically, it's an irrational exuberance. It was expenditure <laughs> that didn't need to be made. Oh so goodness. he said, oh, how appropriate. Irrational exuberance for a wine. It's an expenditure that's does it really need to be made. So it just came up. It was irrational exuberance, and that it has evolved to exuberance. So. <laughs> But it's a lovely gold screen label, and it's quite impressive. It's beautiful. So, yeah, that's a... Um, now I'm tr- See, this is how it happens. I drink the wine, and I start losing my vocabulary. It's a silk screen. Yes. Silk screen, but a gold silk screen label. right directly on the bottle. Mm-hmm. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful presentation on the well, bottle. Thank you. Yes. So... What's the what's the range in Canahan price range that we're just looking at? Price from the rose on up. Uh, price range runs a uh, rose is twenty five. Our um, Chardonnay, mm-hmm. we also have, but I did not bring it today. And quite the, all right, you yes, that is given us beautiful choices. <laughs> but that is the only wine that Bill doesn't grow mm-hmm. grape that Bill doesn't grow. I grow that personally, mm-hmm. and so um, and I sell it to him. So from the rose is about forty. And uh, the Pinot, uh, depending on if it's Canahan or Exuberance, both the Pinot and Syrah run from 50 to 75. Mm-hmm. Quite understandable. They're mm. really, they're luxurious. Oh, thank you. They are, they are elegantly presented and have that mouthfeel and development on the palate. Like you said, you, you managed to, you know, uh, uh, pull best... Best red wine at San Francisco International Competition, which is really the the creme de la creme of the competition. So, congratulations thank again you, on you. that. These are all beautiful wines, and you said again that people can visit. You can go to, go to CanadianWines dot com to correct. schedule an appointment. Yes, by appointment only. Mm-hmm. Uh, come out, it'll either be myself or Bill Canahan. Wow. Yes, we make Olders less than a thousand cases. Ooh, so exclusive. Very exclusive. Just tasting room and direct mm-hmm. to consumer. Very cool. And you also have a club. You have a three-bottle club. You have a six-bottle club. Correct. You can join right on the website. So if you can't get to an appointment to actually visit in person, 
That'd probably be the best way to, mm-hmm. to and do the that. wine club's great. We have a yearly party that we've had for the last few years. Uh, come June, paella and wine, all you can drink, and all lots of good snacks. And then uh, also with that wine club, you get two free tastings a year. And we're pretty lenient. If you bring your friends, we're not going to send them away or charge them. So There's no tasting room police? We <laughs> No, I will not. <laughs> So it's a great, right. great price for the, what you get. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful. Now, you brought a real interesting, um, I'm always fascinated because I always want to learn. You brought an interesting hand out here. Oh, no. About the season. I, so I really, I, I want to get to this because um, I'm fascinated by um, the information about the season. So right now we're hitting really kind of point number one. Um, which is, you talked about this, there's a little bit of mildew because of the, vigor the heavy, the, r- right. And the heavy rains. Right. And we're hitting beration, mm-hmm. um, which is the beginning of the ripening season within the growing season. It's, it's when ripening begins, you get 60 days on average for beration before harvest starts. But, uh, uh, har- harvest is not an automatic 60 day thing. No, no, y- no. You have interesting challenges to deal with like crew availability Yes, I mean, that is a big thing that in this valley that's coming to be an issue is enough people to pick, hand pick your grapes. Uh, there are some vineyards that have turned to mechanical mm-hmm. uh, and some vineyard managers that are working day and night, literally, will have th- three crews to work through the whole day. Yeah, it's pretty intense. So it'll be interesting to see what hat brings right. in the future. You know, are we going to have more H2 visa holders, which means that we recruit right. them from Mexico. So... But that is very interesting. We'll see in about 60 days. That's true. And I don't know if you know about this, but Mm. we talked about it briefly in a previous podcast. The state of California is enacting overtime laws for vineyard workers, um, which has different thresholds in terms of how many employees are involved before that kicks in and the number of hours. And is it there's a there's a whole slew of regulations in terms of hours per day versus hours per week or month collectively. It's a little bit like, I don't know if anybody who's listening is familiar with um, truck driver laws in which there's, and the same thing kind of applies to airline pilots, which is a certain amount of mandated sleep time before they can start another shift and things like that. And although what's being proposed or enacted for vineyard workers does not exactly mirror, you know, the amount of sleep time required for truck drivers or airline pilots. Um, the, the general spirit of keeping everybody healthy was <laughs> kind of in there. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see how all of that evolves this year. So kind of cool thing. So, so you've got this interesting handout here in one of these ones I don't understand, and I'm not even sure I can pronounce. Mildew. You, I want to say unicular. Oh, I can't even say it. Unicinula nectar. nectar, which is the is scientific. this a Doctor Zeus name? It's the scientific <laughs> name <laughs> of unicular. <laughs> unicular uh, nectar. So that is what we call mildew. That is the scientific. Oh, that's name. its name. Oh. Yes. Oh, I never knew that. Yes. <laughs> And same with, uh, you know, botrytis. We have botrytis cinera, which means botrytis and uh, cinnida uh, in 
Latin is, or Italian, I should say, is ash. So that's exactly what it looks like. It's on the grape. So. Mm-hmm. Which is where the name Cinderella comes from oh, as well. I did Cinder not know. and all that. Hmm. And of course, uh, Betritus cinera, um, noble rot, which has its place. Oh, definitely. Yes. We don't places. get it too much here because uh, it's not perfect conditions. Right. But it's there kind of are a some years France that we thing. have. Yeah, moisture, heat, mm-hmm. daylight mm-hmm. hours. Yes. In a, definitely. So, so when, as mildew goes away, now uh, mildew comes around when the acids are high and the sugars are low. So mildew would, will stop producing and about 10 bricks. So okay. in this general time frame right now, mm-hmm. which is a good thing because we have some pretty good high pressure mildew out there. And so now we have to be careful of Botrytis because as the sugars go up, Botrytis likes that. And like you said, Noble Rot makes some right. beautiful citrons and sweet wines. So Alexander, can you walk our listeners through your, you just hinted at sugars are going up. And so there's this, there are these swings, you know, between acid going up, sugar going up, and so forth. So this, the kick-in of is sugars starting, beginning to go up. This is sugars make ripeness. Right. Well, there's a few things that go on. So <laughs> you, you have this beautiful flowering and it turns into green berries that are nice and hard on the vine. And at this point, when you have, uh, it's maturing and it's very unripe, the mildew can come in. And at a certain point, as the acids, as your plant is is photosynthesizing, your things are also going through metabolism, respiration. And this changes the acids to become, at, uh, let me go a step back. So as it goes through respiration, it comes to a point where it will stop cell division and it will start elongating these cells. Now at that point, this, the grapes go from a point of development into maturity. So that's when you start getting the color differentiation mm-hmm. or the chlorophyll is now being changed into anthocyanins in red and carotens in white. This is where you see purple in the grapes. That's the yes. color. So that's color. the golden in the whites and the mm-hmm. uh, purple and dark in the uh, red. And what's kind of interesting to me, um, so if you're listening and you're a tourist, um, but it, or if you're listening and you're just try, <laughs> still trying to learn, I mean, I'm still trying to learn. I will be endlessly learning. They go, I don't see the grapes on the vines. I don't see the grapes on the vines. Well, here's the funny thing as you're driving by with your tour guide in the car is, first of all, the leaves on the grapevines um, shade the grape clusters on purpose to yes. keep them from burning, sunburn, sunburn. Like, yes. like us. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't want our skin sunburned. So the second part is the leaves are also a very dark green color. So now you've got the, the grapes, as they mature, they're going often from a very light green color, and they're turning purple, just how you described, Alexandra. And so then you've got the purple, I get the purple, a dark color against a dark green leaf, and you can hardly see them. So my tip is look at the bottom of the leaf line because you'll see the clusters kind of sticking out at the bottom They'll if you're looking out. for them. Yes, they will. That's where the magic happens. And don't pull over <laughs> randomly to look at them. Yeah. <laughs> please. Go to your As destination. A snowman, I will ask you to please pull over somewhere safe. <laughs> Is this because you live right across <laughs> I from Cherry Block? <laughs> yes, I see people pulling over all the time. It is fascinating to look 
uh, to get to step into a vineyard. And for those who haven't, that maybe don't live anywhere near vineyards, it's a really cool place to visit. It, I agree. It's, there's this lushness about you, and even you when the here, weather Alex. is hot and dry. Um, for an outsider, I just hosted some family from out of town, and they were in awe of the landscape and this you know, bountiful crop that's everywhere when you drive through Sonoma and Napa counties. And to get out and look at it close up and to, to yeah. experience agriculture and not just, you know, industrial agriculture. <laughs> we're, you know, a lot of these grapes are hand-picked. People are out there working in right. the fields and getting to see that if you're a city dweller, you know, you get this sense of space and um, season and uh, that's a beautiful thing about wines is, is getting to experience the season of the growth and hearing this from you, Alexandra, to understand the science behind it and, you know, the nurturing from the, the green little bitty fruit into ripening. It's, it's a fascinating thing to witness and getting to visit wine country is a really nice experience i i agree i love it i you lived here all your there. life though you know is, and it, you we're were fortunate to live here but she's still right. here doing it but because you, it's that good but ruby you came you didn't <laughs> live in wine country no i didn't yeah, i was transported here uh about six years ago from san francisco there you go and i mean i was in love with the area for a while and i just mm. thought hey you know what i should actually move here i love it so much what right, what am so i you waiting and I are in for? the same boat it's there it's time yeah. let's go I moved from yeah. San Francisco to Napa mm -hmm. and then from Napa to mm -hmm. Sonoma and different different time frame but there mm -hmm. you go. Yep. I keep coming back after I leave so there's something here definitely. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. keeps drawing us back so it's very cool so I, I, uh, we, we should probably close out and I, these are all spectacular so again canhanwines.com to find out you can make an appointment to taste <laughs> this is the really cool part you can taste with the winemaker sitting across from me right now Alexandra uh, or Bill, the winery owner. Yes. Um, and that is all through a long family history, which makes it really cool. Um, I wanted to ask really briefly, uh, you are, you're all hand-picked, right? You don't all have any mechanical. I didn't no. think you did. No I, but since Ruby was mentioning how that's done, and I just wanted to recap that portion. Oh, so yes. that's oh, a hand. unique part of it. Uh, vines that have been there planted since the late 1990, 1998, I think you said, which mm -hmm. is very cool. So any final tips that you want to give our, our listeners in terms of, we, you know, we cross the, the boundaries between women approaching the wine industry, women long-term in the wine industry. Mm. You, ha you have a parting parting words in that kind of arena for women in the wine industry or in start huh? or if if you were to if you were to give advice to your younger self oh don't be discouraged when somebody comes to you with that might have had lots of experience and said oh no that's not it you never know you might find something new a new way to do it a new way of presenting it which could don't stick to traditions it out of the box so winemaking is so traditional but it's so many avenues for innovation did you, did you find that some people said no to you or don't do this or whatever and your gut said i don't think i should listen to that and you went ahead and followed your gut yeah yes okay. i have yeah all right that sounds like a pretty good way to end things up ruby 
Yes. Uh, Wine Women has an event on, this is a very interesting subject, wine faults coming up. Yes, wine faults, something you probably won't find with With Canahan Wine. Thank you, Ruby. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've never found any fault with Canahan Wines in my experience. And you're you're a long-term drinker, so that's great. Several glasses. And bottles. Indeed. Yes, on August 13th at Deloche Vineyards up okay. in uh, Santa Rosa, just outside of Santa Rosa, um, there is. this is actually going to be the second annual Back by Popular Devan, uh, Demand Wine Faults yeah. Exploration, Advanced Exploration of Wines. This is a really weird opportunity to taste bad wines and understand what makes them bad <laughs> but you also but you also get n- no. nice wines yes. not faulted wines absolutely and no good wines were harmed in the making That's of this right. event so this it's, is chemically made in the lab taste mm. uh chemically induced faults added to wines it's an additive so that you know what right. it is that's wrong with your wine is right. this wine corked you yeah. ask yourself and now you'll know Yes, it's corked, yeah. and here's why. Um, there's actually going to be six different prepared right. um, tastes of what could be wrong, including like hyper acidity. I can't remember all the terms. So six tainted wines. You're yes, saying you're tainted wines. H U S is my favorite because it's the most <laughs> noxious to me. Oh, is it? Sounds like fun, doesn't it? <laughs> so H two S is the one experienced that this before. Smell like oh, um, eggs. Eggs. They smell like yeah. that. You know, like yeah. like like gray well water. Eggs. Yeah, Ew. It, it's mm. pretty bad. Um, so you'll want to spit these wines, but the <laughs> and you will be is, able to when you arrive. You will be greeted with something absolutely nice delicious wine. from mm-hmm. Deloche Vineyards, and then you'll have an exploration of these really um, tainted, not good wines just to know what it is that's wrong with yeah. the wine. And then you'll, again, be able to enjoy some delicious wines with excellent company. Right. And um, and there's only, this is an exclusive event, only 25 maximum okay. guests are allowed at this event. Okay. We are, the tickets are on sale on Eventbrite. Okay. Uh, and you, you can, can go to the website as well, winewomen.net. Dot net website to get tickets. Hurry, hurry, because yeah. they will sell out quickly. Great, well for, great way for wine professionals to sharpen their olfactory senses, primarily, because you pick this great up. Idea. Most taste is, is actually informed by olfactory senses. That's right. Uh, to find out what these faults are. Um, so great event to participate on that. And I have to tell you, I did... Uh, first year of this I, I won't be able to go to the second year version of this um but i learned so much and i took massive amounts of notes because you are taught by two experts bob peak and deborah del fiorentino um who there are it, it would be hard to find uh two experts who know more about identifying these types of faults and know more about judging wine and 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 these types of faults and they'll the, They'll guide everyone through this. So an excellent event to attend. Alexandra Romanini, consulting winemaker for Canahan Family Cellars at canahanwines.com. Thank you so much for having me. For participating on the podcast Wine Women Radio Hour. Ruby Fontana, thank you so much for co hosting. My pleasure. How fun to be with you both. It's fantastic. And listeners, most of all, thank you so much for tuning in. Tune in next week when we have another guest with us uh, to learn more about wine and women in the wine industry and women making wine in the industry etc etc have a great week